Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome in to the House of L podcast. This is episode 96. And I just realized that in my stupidity, I may have done something brilliant with this episode. Why? Because even though Nina and I recorded this a little while ago, it is episode 96. And Nina Hajian, who is my guest, is the morning person at B96. I promise you I didn't do this on purpose. It wasn't until I started to record the open that I realized what I had done and how it kind of looks brilliant, even though it wasn't brilliant at all. Let me tell you why she's on the podcast. She's on the podcast because her and Gabe Ramirez, who was on episode 60 of our podcast, do the morning show of B96. They're a dynamic duo. They have incredible chemistry on the air. Their show is a lot of fun. They take it into a lot of different directions, and I enjoy them both immensely. Nina didn't grow up here, which is something you'll find out in the episode, but she's acclimated to Chicago very well since getting here a couple years ago. I really like what she does on her podcast so, you know, like you're supposed to get ready to talk to your guests. So you do all of the homework that you can. You talk to their friends. You listen to some of their work. And I listened to her podcast and it blew my mind. I was so entertained that in the first three minutes of listening to the first episode of her podcast, I subscribed because it was that interesting. The name of that podcast is called Guilty Pleasures and Growing Pains with Nina. And Nina tells a lot of stories. And being someone who has worked on the FM side of radio and has been around a lot of stars and has been through a lot of relationships, I was floored by some of the raw honesty that happens on this podcast with her and producer Angie and producer Krista. Shout out to Krista. It is um, unreal. So you need to give it a listen after you are done listening to this episode here. She's fun. She's insightful. She's very positive. And I'm just happy to have her be a guest on the podcast. And what's crazy is, and you'll hear it early on, before I had heard her on the radio, I met her on Windy City Live. It was a really weird encounter because they're literally down the hall from where the score studios, the new score studios are literally down the hall. So I want you to to check it out. 
our conversation goes into a lot of different directions, which is a positive. She had to go because there was a meeting that all the FM stations were having. So that's why we kind of cut it short. She's definitely a candidate to be a repeat guest on this podcast, though. A lot of great stories and a lot of fun to talk to. Check her out on B96, 5 a.m. to 10 a.m. with my boy Gabe, Nina Hajian, episode 96 on the House of L podcast. What's your podcast about, though? Like, is it all it's, sports? No, it's not about sports at all. Okay, hallelujah. I'm yeah, a little nervous. It's about it's about Because I got to check yours out. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. I like to ask people about, like, their, their origin stories and... I like to know why they're doing what they're doing. It's like that was that's the whole point of House of L. You should uh, listen to the episode with Kenzie. I will. It's really good, and you find out like a lot about her. And I want to find out more about you because I think it's interesting that like your first day in town. I don't know if you remember. We were together on Windy City Live. I do remember. And it was like I was like, "Hey, who are you?" And yeah. like, "Hey, I work down the hallway from you now." I'm like, "Oh, okay, cool." Yeah. And everybody was spe- like speaking so highly of you, and I work with Gabe every morning, and he's a huge fan of yours. And so when I first met you, I'm like, "Oh yeah, Lawrence is a really nice guy." And I was like, "I was on Windy City Live with Lawrence Holmes," and they're like, "Wait, what?" Lawrence Holmes? Do you even know who that is? And I'm like, I'm sorry. Yeah, I do. He's a really nice guy. <laughs> it's like, I just got here. Could you guys like leave me alone? Give me a second to get acclimated, but yeah. How's the morning show lifestyle? What's it like? Hard. But it's one of those things where they talk about you really got to love your job. And obviously we do, because I think working in media, you have to sacrifice so many things, you know, like whether it's showing up to birthday parties or weddings. And also, in my case, it's sleep Mm. and a little bit of a social life. And I've been doing mornings for over 10 years. Radio in total, a very long time. But mornings, 10 years, and you don't get used to it. Everybody's like, do you get used to it? I'm like, no. And when I first started out, I would pull the all-nighters. You know, I would go out and then I would just come to the station and go straight onto the air. Or I would like camp out. I mean, I was a mess back then. I was like, this is great. I got the keys to just go do whatever I want. And then because you didn't have to have makeup on at the time, you didn't have to be ready. So being flexible and rolling in in sweats, let me just do things. Um, So it's a little bit tough. But once you get to work, and once you realize what you get to do every day, like it just makes it all worth it. And I think the job of a morning show person, especially, you know, in top 40 and and lifestyle kind of situations, your job is to live and to bring experiences to the air. So, you know, it's kind of hard to be rested all the time, especially when you're trying to participate in your own life. You know, what's your best? I'm tired, but I made it into work story. The best I'm tired. That's a, a tough one. I just remember that I, this is when I was in New York. So I was working and doing mornings in New York before I moved to Chicago just about two years ago. So this was in the beginning of my time there. We had um, a hosted event with Flo Rida. So I was hosting, doing the interviews, like making sure like everybody was all great. And then, of course, part of it is being social. So I had a few cocktails. It's fine. I'm not paying attention to the time. We go eat in Chinatown afterwards. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's 2. It's 2 a.m. And I need to be at work by 4.30. I'm wearing a dress and tights and all of that stuff. And I'm like, oh, shoot, I can't believe it's this late. So the best bet so I wasn't late was just to get to the station. I was like, I'll be fine. I'll take a quick nap. Everything's going to be okay. 
Well, I didn't wake up to my alarm. One of the interns was walking around the building trying to find me because my host is like, Nina's not answering her phone. Like, my partner, he's like, I don't know where she is. This is very unlike her. I was in one of the offices, like, kind of in the back or whatever, like, passed out. When he walked, this makes me sound like ratchet, by the way. I'm a very responsible woman. But he walks in. I'm laying on the floor trying to get my nap in, not paying attention to my phone. My dress is, like, flipped up over me. (laughs) And he walks in on me with my dress, like, oh. Over my back, my butt is out in the air, and he's like, hey, Nina, the show's starting. And I woke up. I was like, well, dang it. I got here. I spent the night here on purpose or took a nap here for about an hour on purpose not to miss the show, and I almost did. So I guess it wasn't like I'm tired. I had to make it through the show, though. So what was that experience like that day of making it through the show? Because I'm sure I'm – sure, okay, so let me guess. There's an immediate adrenaline spike. Yeah. Because you're like, oh, shit, I'm, I'm up. Yeah. And I was supposed to be on the air. Let me run down the hallway and get on the air. Yeah. When did the crash happen? Probably a couple hours in. So, like, at first, I'm still on my high from the night before. I'm like, oh, my God, it was so fun, blah. And I'm just, you know, kind of delirious. And I think there's something that we say a lot in radio. Like, some of your best shows are when you're delirious because you have no filter. And so you're just saying whatever comes to your mind and you're just out there playing. And then my my partner, he looks at me and he's like, you know, your face is white are you all right? I'm like, I just, I'm so tired. You know, like I can't even see straight right now. And so I ended up going home a little bit early that day, (laughs) but yeah, I had a good couple hours in me, but it was the main part of the show anyway. And the the clock like feels like it's moving backwards instead of forwards. You're like, I just got (laughs) to figure out a way to get out of here. How did you fall in love with radio? Um, It was an accident, honestly. So my whole thing with radio was music. I used to be a singer And so when I was, you know, in college, still trying to pursue music, I was like, I got it. I'm going to get a job at a radio station and I'm going to figure out how to get my song played on the air. I think I'm the smartest person in the room at this point. So I get the internship. And funny enough, one of the um, hosts at the station, another one of the jocks, he saw me out one night. I was performing and hosting a local kind of showcase of local artists. And he grabbed me and he pulled me aside and he goes, wait, you know, so you sing you host and you work at a radio station, but the station, nobody knows you do any of these things. Cause I was handing out stickers and putting up banners and trying to listen wherever I could, you know, knowing my place. I'm not a shy person, but in those situations, I think it's really important to just kind of not overstep certain boundaries until it's your time. And so that was kind of my invitation into the world of the programming side, you know, like being behind a microphone to see if I even liked it. So I was very lucky to have a mentor, but then I realized I love telling stories. I love telling stories and I loved being close to the music and and there was this weird sensation of being able to be the bridge between fans and artists. And so while I was an aspiring artist, I thought at the time that I was like, oh, I just have this different perspective. You know, I can just bring this out to to their fans. And maybe that helped. I think it was more of the drive and I kind of let go of all of my musical fantasies because I fell so in love with talking to people and helping other people have a voice and being able to be that bridge between, you know, these amazing artists that people feel like they they have no access to. And this was before social media was the biggest thing in the world. And so that was our job to be that person. Now social media plays a different role. And now it's more about the storytelling for me about the real people, not so much about the celebrities anymore. Does that make sense? It absolutely makes sense. What was... What was your singing like? Like, who were the people that influenced you 
when it came to singing? Like music, I was a big R&B person. So like Mariah Carey, of course, you know, that was all of the big voices, you know, Whitney Houston. Now, did I sing like that? No. Can you still sing? Sometimes, but to myself. Now, this is one thing that I, I don't do anymore. Like, I sing only to myself, like, in the shower. Maybe you'll catch me, like, in a car. I'll be singing along. If you turn down the music really fast, you might hear me. But other than that, I just kind of, I stopped. It was one of those things that was just almost kind of so personal. And I wasn't, the, I wasn't terrible, but I wasn't the greatest at it. But whatever that drive and desire to perform was brought me to radio. And I think it was kind of the best thing for me. Because I remember, I think it was in high school or middle school, you know, when you take those tests, they're like, what are you going to be when you grow up? The aptitude test. Yeah. So I took one of those and it did. It said, you know, radio personality. And at the time I was like, yeah, right. They don't make enough money. Why would I do that? They just don't make enough money. And I I was all, you know, ready to be a mega pop star or a lawyer or, you know, all of these different things. Like when you're a kid, you don't know. So here I am. Ta-da. Here you are. (laughs) What was the biggest crowd that you played for when you sang? There was a car show um, that was in Seattle at the time. It was a huge car show. And um, I sang the hook and at the time he was a local artist and he had like Twista, like, you know, kind of an old school rapper that raps really, really fast. If you don't know who he is. Uh, um, people from Chicago know who Twista <laughs> is. Okay, just making sure. <laughs> just making sure. So Twista, you know, was on the song too. And then I sang the hook. And the, the craziest part, this is like my biggest room that I've ever, you know, I don't know thousands of people I guess I would say I wasn't really counting because I was so nervous but then my mic cut out so you couldn't even hear me so the whole thing was just a disaster from the beginning but you know it kind of taught me like you just keep going you know fake it and just keep singing and eventually towards the end it it picked up so you know that's what it was it was hilarious like at the time I was so devastated but afterwards all you could do is laugh Because at first I was like, I don't know what to do. I'm so young. I've never done this before. It was all, it was kind of a crash course and just do it and figure it out. So fake it till you make it sometimes really is a thing. I've noticed that whether it's on the air or on your podcast, which is insane, by the way. (laughs) Thank um, you. (laughs) You are very good at seeing the positives of negative situations. Where does that come from? That's a great question. I don't know, but thank you for noticing that. Um, I think sometimes it irritates people because I think that, I mean, I'll be completely honest. I think there's a lot of times where I'm actually a very dark person when I'm by myself and I have to pull myself out of holes, you know, with anxiety or depression or whatever it is. Like, you know, everybody has their moments. And I think that maybe sometimes I get there a little bit more often and it's really important to pull yourself out. And especially when it comes to looking at other people's lives, there's so much possibility and potential in any situation. And it's like, it's, it's one of those really cheesy things. It's up to you to just be defeated and do what you have one of two options, nothing or something. And I just keep pushing for something. And I think there's really good in in most cases, but to that point too, it also hurts me like in personal relationships and stuff like that, where I'm, I've trained myself to see the positive. I guess maybe my mom, I can credit her for helping me with that too at a younger age. But when I meet people and they do bad things, it's almost like I have temporary amnesia and forget about the bad things that they did that hurt me and then focus on the good. And then I let that person stay in my life longer than they should because it's like my mind doesn't know how to see the difference. Does that make sense? No, it does. It does make sense. But the thing is that I don't find you to be 
you're not sugary bubbly. Like it's not a facade. No, it's real. And and, and from even listening to the episodes of the podcast, you're also pretty logical. You're you're like, let's take steps to figure out what actually happened. Yeah. And then we can act accordingly. But let's hope for the best outcome of this. That that's what I mean. It's not you're not Pollyanna. No. <laughs> like it, it's it, it your positivity though is rooted in trying to get to the root of a problem mm-hmm. and then saying, well, let's hope for the best, but kind of prepare for the worst. Right. I guess that, I mean, that's that whole problem solver thing and, you know, that whole innocent until proven guilty. But I think a lot of times, too, like we can sabotage ourselves. You know, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy when you start to spiral in and automatically already go to the worst. Right. In any case, whether it's relationships or job or any type of misunderstanding. And if you don't have that open line of communication in any situation, then you don't have facts and then you just hurt yourself. Or maybe you protected yourself. I don't know. I guess it depends on how you see it. But I like to have everything on the table. Otherwise, I don't feel settled, you know, at the end of the day. It's true. When you found out you were getting teamed up with Gabe, what did you think? I loved it. Honestly, I loved it. The funny part is, too, Gabe and I knew each other before I came to Chicago. We I didn't know that. Yeah, we weren't super, super close. But the show that was on B96 before I had arrived, um, Shelly, Showbiz Shelly, was a good friend of mine. She's probably one of my oldest friends in radio. We used to do red carpets together in L.A. all the time when we were, like, baby radio hosts. And so we would run around and, and go to all those parties together. And one time, I had been to Chicago one other time, really, before I had moved here. And it was to visit Shelly. And um, so on that or during that outing, I had met Gabe and Jay and wonderful, wonderful people. So the way this all kind of worked out was sort of uncomfortable in the beginning, but it ended up playing out and everybody's in good spaces. So Gabe and I got along immediately. He's a wonderful person, very, very smart, very talented. And, you know, he's actually helped me quite a bit because he is Mr. Chicago. You know, he knows. He knows everything, born and raised, bleeds Chicago. And I appreciate that because he helps me see Chicago through his eyes. And as an adult moving to a new city, especially a city like this one where people have so much pride and they're friends already. You know, you have your own groups. You have all of these places. It's been hard for me to find my place, you know, here and and have friends. I have friends. I'm not saying I don't have friends. I do have friends. But it's really cool to get to see the city through his eyes so I can have a different experience. It's not me just going out and hopping into a restaurant. Like he's taking me down like to neighborhoods, showing me where he went to school. And that's a whole other side of it. It gives you a different perspective on the place that you live. And honestly, it's helped me fall in love with the city and the people here so much more because of the way that he's shown me the city. Where are you from? I'm originally from Seattle. And, okay. I've, and I've bounced around quite a bit in my life. So it, Outside, I'm going to eliminate Chicago from the conversation. Where did you have the most fun before you got here? Like, mm-hmm. where, did you, where did you feel the most at home? New York. Why? New York. So when I was younger, um, I was born in Seattle. I did grow up there all my schooling. My mother's from the East Coast. She's from Baltimore. And for a while, we lived in New York because of my dad's job. He's an aeronautical engineer. So I've kind of always been moving around. It's just always been a thing. So my summers were spent on the East Coast. And when I was younger, I was, you know, a little chunky girl with dark hair, one eyebrow, like all this stuff. Because I'm half Persian, okay? So this was before I even understood what plucking my eyebrows meant. And I don't know if 
other ladies feel this way, but there's certain cities that you go to and you're more appreciated. You go to L.A., they like a skinny blonde. You know, you go to the East Coast, they prefer a curvier brunette. Not always. It's definitely to a person. But being a young girl trying to have self-esteem, I loved like when people are like, oh, you look so good when that didn't happen in Seattle because that was a whole nother thing. Um But outside of that, I had roots and family on the East Coast, which I loved. And I would always spend my summers in New York. So when I finally got there, that was my dream job before Chicago. My dream job was to do morning radio in New York City. I have my little Apple tattoo that I got um, because of all of the, what what do you call it, disappointment and rejection that I've faced in my career trying to get there. You're not New York enough. What? I've lived here for a good portion of my life, but that's cool. Um, I've been told I had to get boob job. I've been told to lose weight. I've been told all of these different things, basically just saying, bottom line, you're not good enough. And I wasn't taking that. I'm like, okay, but no. So I think maybe it was also, not only did I feel at home in New York, I think also worked for it so hard that it tasted that much better, Mm. you know? And after everybody doubting you and not thinking you can do it, that, you know, that was one spot that everybody in the country wanted and I got it. And I worked hard for that. So I I don't say that in an arrogant way. I say that with pride because that was my hard work paying off. But it also taught me it was kind of one of those things that no matter what it is that you want, you can achieve it. Like, I don't know if you believe in the secret or whatever. I mean, I did everything from going to fly myself there for meetings to writing down the address on a piece of paper every morning with my name on it and and all of those things. And so... And I had friends there already. I have family there already. And so there was kind of already a built-in support system. And New York is wild. And we just got to have a great time. And the funny part is, is that Chicago is kind of a lot like it as far as things to do. There's always something going on, the culture, the food, like all of that. So that transition wasn't that hard. I appreciate that Chicago is maybe like uh, a little bit slower. You know, it's because it has that Midwest vibe. And I think I needed to slow down a little bit. And coming here is like the like it, it evens everything out. And so now this has turned into a different dream that I didn't even know that I had. You know what I mean? So when you look back at your journey, right, you think you have everything all set up. Your goals, everything that you want is right there in front of you. But sometimes it's those turns that you're forced to take that you didn't know were coming or that you couldn't see that puts you on this other path where you're like, Oh, wow. Now I'm open to this whole other. Now I'm going to do a podcast. Now I can maybe find somebody to have a life with, you know, all of these different things. So it's not all consuming. I don't Does that that make sense? I feel like I'm yes. talking 100 miles a minute because obviously I'm very passionate about all of these things. No, it's good. I'm glad when I get FM people to talk because you guys <laughs> get like three minutes to talk and you have more space here on the podcast. Thank you. I've been on a run lately and I didn't realize this until last night. I've been on a run of talking with brown people lately. Talking with brown people. Okay. Okay. So Paula Ferris, who's on who's on Good Morning America, who's on The View, she's Lebanese. My buddy Adam Amin, Pakistani. Oh, how funny. So th- <laughs> these three episodes are all like in the same in the same space. I had a talk with Layla Rahimi. Have you met Layla? Yeah, she's a friend of mine. Okay. So I had a conversation with her about being Persian and uh-huh. what that meant. And I'm learning a lot, like culturally, it's 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 geographically and culturally, it's something that I don't know a ton about. Mm-hmm. But whether it was her or Adam or Paula 
or my friend Sahadev, whose family's from India, he, they've all said that they felt pressure to do three things growing up. Okay. Doctor, lawyer, engineer. Yeah. And when you told me that your dad was an engineer, I was sitting there going, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so I'm wondering, did, did you ever feel that type of pressure? Yeah. Yeah, I totally did. I think I felt it up until like a few years ago and they realized that this wasn't a joke. You know, it's not a hobby. And my dad actually is one of my biggest supporters now. And I deal with a lot of touchy content, like sexually explicit or, you know, very woman empowering. And I think that, you know, the Middle East, Iran specifically, it's hard to be a woman there. And you're taught that you don't have a voice. You know, there's certain things that happen in that country. The freedom that we have here, they don't. And my dad grew up there, though, and he's not a suppressive man. He's not crazy. I think it's partly because, you know, he had me as a daughter, but he's just a wonderful person. But um, there were pressures to do law. He's like, Nina, you love to talk so much. Why aren't you a lawyer? Like, go do these things. Medicine obviously wasn't going to be it. I'm not great with numbers, but... You know, like not an engineer either. My brother, funny enough, is an engineer too. Um, but me, I was more on the artsy side. So he's like, you just go be a lawyer. And I really love law too. And there was a part of me that actually considered doing all of that. So finally, now he he watches like keeping up with the Kardashians in the background just to kind of, I don't even like the Kardashians, but this is like his way, like he'll go read E to talk to me. And believe me, that's not all that my life is, but it was cute because it was a few years ago. He tried to throw out those headlines to try to connect with me in a different way. But in the beginning, yeah, both of my parents didn't, this is not a stable job. Lawrence, we're crazy. We are. (laughs) For, For choosing this, like you really have to love it. So now they get it, but at first, not even a little bit. Do you ever find it difficult to fit in culturally, because I think that in in America, when we talk about issues of race and culture, it's usually on the spectrum of black and white. Mm -hmm. And there's so much that's in between. Do you ever feel like, where do I fit in these conversations? A lot of the time I do. And I think that's not just black or white. I think it's also being biracial. You know, my mother is German-Irish and I have, you know, traditions on both sides, you know, and sometimes my friends are like, oh, that's the white in you or, oh, there's your Persian. And I'm just like, I don't know. It's just me. And and I get that. But I think that there's a lot of people that are biracial or a mix of, of anything that kind of have this like confused way of living sometimes when people expect you to fit in a certain box. I'm not what like. Like, you know how you have to check, like, what you are? Yeah. Like, on pieces of paper for the longest time, I didn't know what to check because I'm not just Middle Eastern. I'm not just Caucasian. But technically, I guess that's Caucasian. But then that's not how I was taught. So you, you, and, know, it's, you and it's not how you're viewed. Right. You know, and the, the, I, had a, I had a conversation with a student of mine, and her family is from Iraq. And I, was, I, I just kind of asked her, I said, do you consider yourself to be a woman of color? And she said, well— Technically, I'm not. And I was like, really? Because here it feels as if we are. You are. Well, you're some type of minority, right? Right. Because that just the minority means you're not the majority. 
And so I think in a lot of situations, we're even more of a minority than the minority because there's not as many of us. And, you know, it's it was cool. Actually, I ended up at a party recently and there was a bunch of Persians there and I got so excited because it felt like home. But a lot of times you I don't really I mean, even having Layla around is cool. And we'll talk about, you know, the food that we eat or our dads. And there's just certain things that only, you know, Iranians know or then even when you're in a room full of Iranians, then you're not Iranian enough to be Iranian because you're mixed. So even they look at you different because I don't speak Farsi. So I don't speak Farsi. I'm not full. So I don't know. It's it's weird. So, yeah. And, and but. I'm sure you're claimed, though, because you're famous. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that I'm famous, Here, but I'm here's a Here's a famous Persian woman on, on the number one music show in Chicago. I'm sure it's the same way that Layla gets claimed. Like, and it cracked. I had Layla on the podcast, and she told me it blew my mind that she is the first Persian female sportscaster in America. Is that true? Yes. I didn't know that. She found it. I'll send you the episode so you can listen to it because it's amazing. That's that's so cool. And 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 I'm like, whoa. Like yeah. that's that's heavy. Like that's you're carrying a lot of cultural weight when you are that person. Just being a woman with a voice, I think. Um, as an Iranian mixed, whatever, you know, that's a different type of a platform, you know, just because we think back, like my grandmother didn't get to talk like we do. She didn't get to have opinions like we do. And Mm. there are so many brilliant Iranian women. I've met so many Iranian women that are doctors. I mean, lawyers, like we go back to the pressure (laughs) of what you're supposed to be, but that's all, you know, you want great things in life, I guess, but they're so smart and they're strong and, I, I just love to see it. Like, it inspires me. Women in general that are in a strong space that use their voice for great things to inspire do. They inspire me quite a bit. But the whole cultural thing is kind of a, it's a weird little bubble that we're in. So when you find other halfies, like Layla, she's a halfie too. Mm-hmm. And so we have this whole, like, little, all right, cool. We got our Persian daddies and our white mommies. Yeah. You know, and it's it's just how it is. I know that you have a meeting to get to. I do. But I just want to ask you real quick, your podcast. Yeah. What the (laughs) fuck is going on on your podcast? Do I get to say, can I swear? I'm like not. I've been like editing myself. Yeah, don't edit yourself. Um, My podcast is called Guilty Pleasures and Growing Pains. And the whole thing behind it is about talking about things that might be a little bit difficult and finding solutions, right? So one of the the episodes that Lawrence is talking about is when my friend talked about how she was dating someone and found out that he'd been engaged the entire time. So they were leading a double life. And shows like the TV show You. Did you ever watch that show? Yes. Okay, so the guy, like, not to give it away, no spoiler alerts, but he kills people and, you know, has a double life. And so... In order to find a solution, I got on a relationship expert, you know, that is able to read people to find a solution to get, you know, to help us sift through these people that have all these flags that are waving in front of our faces that we're missing. Right. And then that's just kind of an example of one of the things that happened. But it's just it's the real life, the dirty parts of it, the the good parts of it but more like the hard parts that nobody gets to talk about. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. without being shamed and having an open space for it and having friends. I'm glad that you, you're doing the podcast, and it's one of the things I talk with Gabe about. FM people, you get your chance. 
and especially the, you you guys' format, you get a chance to talk. You guys talk about real stuff. But there is a limit. Like, yeah. there's a time limit yeah. to how much you're talking. So I'm glad that you're doing a podcast because I think you. it actually draws more people into Nina's personality. You're going to find out more about her. And I honestly think that the effect will be more people listening to the radio show because they have a better background of who you are. And it's hard to convey that in the amount of time that you guys have each day. Yeah. Thank you. I, I mean, I hope so. And it's just to be able to dig deeper into those certain situations that, again, are uncomfortable and a lot of people can relate to, but are hushed or they don't want to feel stupid or look, or be embarrassed by certain situations. And we just kind of dive into all of it and try to make everybody feel all right by getting answers and just by also spilling our dirt, too. So you are definitely spilling the dirt. <laughs> guilty pleasures and growing pains Dude, all together. The trophy case thing. I was sitting in the car like I didn't go in the house. Like I was sitting in the car like, hold up. They, you found a whole bunch of panties that weren't yours. Yeah, and he called it a trophy case. You, now that tells you a lot about my messed up self in relationships. We're healing now, though. We're healing. You are healing, and I appreciate you. Thank you for doing this. Thank you so much for inviting me on. I really appreciate it. All the time. All Lawrence the time. is the best. We love him. <laughs> Not only is he a talent, he walks around these halls cracking everybody up. So. This is a gem right here. Oh, you're so sweet. Thank you. Yeah. So, yeah, that story at the end of the episode, that's exactly what I'm talking about. That's what's on Nina's Guilty Pleasures and Growing Pains podcast. She's dope, man. She's dope. And I'm glad that she is someone that I get a chance to interact with in the building She's got a lot of uh, great things about her, and her and Gabe do such a great job with that show. It was also great to hear her talking about her trying to figure out what her place is in that spectrum of us having discussions about issues of race. It's good to get perspectives that aren't so binary because a lot of times we talk about race And we talk about it as black and white, like both figuratively and literally. And if you notice the last three episodes of the House of L podcast, I talked to three people that have very different experiences with the concept of race and getting their perspective on it is ideal. Absolutely ideal. So shout out to Nina for being as honest, but shit, man, if you listen to her podcast, you will you will definitely get the realness from her. So thank you to her and for making time. She had to run to the meeting after dealing with my nonsense, but it's still appreciated that she was on the podcast. So why don't we do this? Now that you're here, why don't we take a look and see who has emailed House of L to talk about things that have happened and people that people want to see on the podcast and if you want to email the podcast house of l podcast at gmail.com is the way that you can email the podcast tim from racine says this hi lawrence again i'm so glad you decided to go back to weekly episodes just finished the paula ferris episode and i must say you have been on a run i can say i made it through this one with i 
I can say I made it through this one without tearing up. You are so skilled at getting depth in these conversations. The joy you have and what you do and people you know really comes out in these more personal episodes. Keep up the great work. P.S. I feel lucky to be one of the first to rate your show five stars. Going to do it again. Well, thank you, Tim. I appreciate that. And anyone else who would like to give us five stars, that would be outstanding. Yeah, I'm glad that Paula was available. That episode has done really well. I hope you go back and listen to it if you didn't listen to it before. It was a real treat to talk with her because I consider her to be extremely influential on my career. She was incredibly kind when I went to go work at Channel 5, and I'm so glad that we had the chance to talk. And she broke down things as well as she did. It was great, and I'm really proud of her. I'm proud of you know what's interesting the amount of feedback that that episode got on twitter where there were a lot of people who were talking about paula walking away from some of this stuff that she's done in her career and it being a strange thing for people to even think about considering the heights of her career so i'll there were people that needed to hear it. And I heard from, I actually heard, you know, what was crazy. I heard from other guests on house of L that said that they thought it was really important. Like Paula's episode. So if you missed it, go back and listen to it. It's really, really dope. Thanks, Tim. I appreciate your email. That's very nice of you to, to send an email like that to the show. We are doing our best. I can tell you this. I haven't figured out who's going to be the guest next week, but I can tell you that we picked up a sponsor for the podcast. So next week, we're going to give that sponsor some love. I'm excited. It's very Southside centric. So I'm glad that they're going to jump aboard and we will do that with episode 97 of the podcast. Thanks for listening to episode 96. It's much appreciated. And shout out to Nina yet again for being so great on the podcast. I'll be back next week. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep telling people about this podcast. Give it five stars. Write a review like Tim is going to do. It helps us with placement. It helps us with all sorts of stuff. All right. All right. Talk to you next week. Hey.